Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today we are fully geeking out on subscription technology with Vino Jayapalan, CEO and co-founder of Cabo, a fresh dog food subscription business started in 2019 that has optimized to an incredible 25-month average LTV in partnership with subscription platform Chargebee. Also joining us is Senior Director of Product Management Pradim Bagani from Chargebee who joins to talk about the future of API-driven subscription commerce. You'll hear all about Cabo's development from a limited SKU starter subscription program all the way to an upsell, downsell, multi-variable masterpiece, and you'll get a good idea of how you can get started with subscription as well. I hope you enjoy it. On with the show. At that time, subscription was very much defined as one box being delivered to you, one SKU that never changes. The reality is, yes, there's a growth in subscription and the model itself, but there's also this growth of customization and personalization. And I think that was really important to us, looking at the things that really worked in the ChargeView platform, things like how you manage the order data or inventory components, having a subscription and being able to have an add-on, flexibility of plans. As we evolved, it was great to see the ability we wanted to have towards couponing would evolve with Chargebee and make it super simple. Most of the subscription players that we dived into, we found it very difficult to say, these are the things that would really make it a great long-term partner. Welcome to the D2C podcast, guys. Vino, can you tell me the origin story of Cabo? Yeah, so back in 2012, while I was studying biomedical science, I had an opportunity to, to join Facebook, and this was before the company was public. Uh, alongside my identical twin brother who joined me for the next five years, we had this great opportunity uh, to learn from consumer brands of how they were being built and saw everything from Dollar Shave Club to the Rocket Internet Group. And we were getting caught up in this and absolutely fell in love with consumer brands and what they can do. Uh, at the same time, we got our first dog. And uh, unfortunately, she passed away due to stomach cancer. And when we started you know, talking to our veterinarian to kind of understand what could we have done differently, it really came down to like understanding that our pet's life is you know, driven by both diet and activity. Uh, when we looked at the diet that we were giving her, it was definitely questionable. It was uh, the stuff that we would find at a, at a Walmart. Uh, you know, I'm kind of ashamed to even say it, but we got her at an older age. And it was very hard to figure out you know, what was actually suitable for her. And you know, when we looked at the food and where it was being sold and even understanding how it was being produced commercially, we quickly realized that there's this opportunity here where, you know, if we're really able to understand that end dog user, uh, we can create a better experience where we provide recommendations based on that information and make it convenient for the pet parents. So mealtime is easy and enjoyable again. And generally, you know, uh, I had a previous uh, pet podcaster or a pet brand on and they were they were mentioning that pet food is has to be kept uh, not in f- traditional food aisles in the grocery store because it doesn't qualify as food. So even just this revolution of, of, you know, serving dogs actual food rather than this heat blasted kibble. Yeah, exactly. Because I think the the thing that consumers are learning more of now is as we're starting to move away from less processed food and fast food to more natural diets, it's similar to our pets. You know, we were forms of uh, of dry dog food like kibble were created at a time where after World War we wanted to to ration goods and it was out of necessity and it really was able. 
able to take things that were typically not found in human food due to like food safety concerns and blast them under this high heat and add all these like, you know, re-add the nutrients that you just kind of got rid of through a synthetic form. And that was a really effective and, you know, you know, on a cost basis to be able to create these large bags of food. And, um, you know, what's really changed now is that one, we have this like self-awareness towards our diets and the humanization of our pets. We're asking the same question, you know, when a dog has something like a monogastric uh, system where their stomachs and intestines are not as uh, complex as ours, you know, how much food can they really process and break down? And the, the more we, we commercialize the food, the, the harder it is to actually like get the, the goods and the nutrients we need from them. Uh, and the simplest way I always find describing it is like when you see that large block of poop from a dog in a park, that's definitely from more of that processed food because they're not digesting as much of it. Whereas when you see with like fresher diets, dogs actually have like smaller poops. Uh, and that tends to be a really strong way customers even resonate the, the benefits of fresh diets that we offer. That's interesting. I'm going to have to look more closely at my dogs and other dogs poop. You get dog poop. Is that dog eating fresh food? He's got, anyway, well, I'll drop that out. But uh, you started this as a subscription product, like just hearing you describe it, uh, you know, different breeds needing different things, depending on genetic conditions and things like that. Talk about going to market with this product, because I assume subscription was built in from the jump. Yeah. So I think the reason we, we really thought subscription made a lot of sense was one, just looking at like the solution of what is that daily ritual. And it was really around this like feeding experience. It's something that consistently happens. And it's very different from like how humans eat, you know, like when we're thinking about delivering human food, like I might be eating lunch a little bit later. I might want something a bit uh, at, a, at a different time um, or a different diet. Uh, whereas with our pets, it's almost like clockwork, right? Like you, you wake up in the morning, they're nudging you and you're giving them the food. And we really wanted to create a subscription experience because it gives that like matching pattern towards what's already happening in a daily ritual. And really at that time, it was quite difficult, even though it was in 2019, uh, where we were really trying to find this blend between how do you capture this data from the customer and then ensure that, you know, when they're selecting the right plan or, you know, based on, let's say the variable of a diet, the variable of like the quantity, the variable of the frequency, we wanted to make sure that I was like flexible as possible. And that's really what kind of got us started on the hunt of looking for, you know, something that would be a solution to cater to this type of uh, subscription behavior. How do you balance between giving people multiple options and overwhelming people? Like when you're bringing people in, what what are you doing to kind of, sh- are you giving them the full smorgasbord and it's choose your own adventure, they can kind of go all the way through? Or are you trying to limit their options a little bit to increase conversion? Yeah, we, so we definitely limit uh, options in, in order to like really help avoid decision fatigue. Uh, I think right now when you go on to a pet food site, even something like Chewy, it's overwhelming, right? There's all these brands, there's a dog running through a forest and one in a farm. You don't know how to tell the difference. So for us, it's really understanding that, you know, when a customer comes in, they're entering information, they might have a Bichon, it's 10 pounds. And therefore, you know, when they're thinking about diet options, they're more likely to be recommended a 100% freshly cooked diet. Whereas something like, uh, let's say, a larger dog, like a Great Dane, um, you know, having a freshly cooked diet means that you might have your freezer dedicated entirely for your dog and you're out there eating Chef Boyardee. And I think there's a level in terms of how much we uh, we want to create that balance with our dogs and our care for them. So in that case, uh, where they're being pushed more towards is like our fresh di- dry diets that are more suitable for that type of user experience. But, you know, still receiving the recommendation to say, you know, here's a topper of 25% of your diet that you can receive um, monthly or maybe even every six months to add in as a spring 
sprink uh, something that you'd add in a, on the top to uh, create that little bit of additive uh, effect and benefits that you get in the full diet. How many how, how many products do you have? I guess Cabo is the product, but like how many if if they were selling them as individual SKUs, do you have like dozens of products? Yeah, we're definitely in the range of uh, dozens. Um, I think in the beginning when we started off, it was. I think, uh, you know, when you think about the variables, it's one, the pack size. So we actually like portion it out for that pack size. And we started with something like, I think it was like 23 to 25 pack sizes. But we've really been able to narrow that down as we've seen the data behind our cohorts and how the feeding behavior works so that we can be a bit more efficient on the production side and the user experience. The other variable that we play with is the recipe and the product form. So uh, the thing with pets is there is, you know, similar to us, like this allergen or intolerance development. So for me, lactose intolerance over the last three years for no reason. Uh, and, you know, similar to our pets, things like chicken, uh, because it's introduced in these commercially dry forms, has developed a lot more towards our dogs. And um, in the beginning, to be honest, we only started with the beef recipe and, uh, you know, had these like pack size skews. But over time, as we got in confidence and saw like the strong retention in our customers coming back um, and the need for, you know, diet variability, which is something as a standard in the pet food space, we were able to like really select protein choices from beef all the way to now we have a hypoallergenic salmon diet um, that caters towards these different niches and groups, uh, but really addresses them as like uh, as like a, a conglomerate, each uh, kind of attacking and making sure that they can kind of come to that solution. And then the last piece is really the product form. So we know that, you know, not everyone's going to see freshly cooked as a, uh, as a pure solution to them or dry or, or let's say raw food or maybe cricket-based pro- sustainable food in the future or vegan dog food. Like, I think what's important is humans uh, want the option of product uh, forms to not only be suitable for their dog, but as well for their lifestyle so that they're not having a huge uh, behavioral change in their daily ritual in order to provide them a longer and better life. So what aspects of the subscription platform have been like the like the most effective levers for maximizing subscription LTV, let's say? Yeah, I'd say uh, the, the biggest thing that we've been working on over the past few years has really been, you know, outside of the initial concept of can you make this food and get, deliver it and have customers enjoy it and, and come back over and over again. It's really around this like concept of, you know, being more than just what goes into that dog food bowl every day. Um, you know, we earn the trust in one of the most important daily rituals. And the next thing we want to think about is as that dog ages over time, how are we still providing that solution and making it feel like that dog parent isn't alone in that journey? So what that means to us is really, uh, you know, a lot of development around, you know, what are these uh, what might be traditionally called the e-commerce as upsells or add ons that create that value relationship. And at the same time, ensure that, you know, we could fit into a box. So it's not like we're going to be adding pet beds all of a sudden and being able to, you know, upsell them into a pet bed, but looking at food as a function that we've built around and saying, you know, we're noticing a lot of customers, especially during the pandemic out in Alberta and West Coast and and BC, mentioning that they had a real struggle with finding a diet option that was easy to take on the go with them. And that allowed us to, you know, develop an MVP product that was similar to a human protein bar test it within our subscriber group because we have a direct access to them. We saw a great uptick to it. We're able to understand the main core functional ingredients that people wanted to see around anti-inflammatory properties to fibrous poops on a long walk. Uh, you'll see me mentioning poop a lot in this call, but uh, I, I think, you know, once you're able to take that feedback, you know, the R&D cycle is one piece. The next piece is now like, how do you scale this to your entire subscriber base and make it as easy as possible for them to add this, you know, add this component to their subscription, whether it's a one-time or a reoccurring aspect. 
Now, Pritam, like you must, when you hear this, must bring a tear to your eye to hear charge be being used across all these axes to be used so well, basically. Uh, what What's your perspective on other things that other great brands are doing on the platform to uh, to build great subscription businesses? You know, I think uh, it all starts with uh, finding the right value proposition, right? Like in case of, uh, you know, Cabo, for example, we know knew, you know, the problem really, really well and, you know, kind of experienced the problem himself. So understanding the customers and then also understanding what type of subscription model makes sense for them, right? There are different types of subscription models. Uh, you have memberships, you have curation, you have, you know, the regular replenishment subscriptions. Which model is going to work better for you is really, really important to know. And then once a brand understands the problem and understands the model that works better for them, they need to figure out like what is the clear value proposition that they want to articulate, right? And then start really small, test out your assumptions quickly. And once you have those assumptions validated, you know, start scaling through developing a clear marketing plan and also through technology, right? Like Vino was mentioning, you know, you have to make sure that you're able to deliver a great experience to your customer, not only through a great product, but also through technology that enables customers getting that great experience, you know, getting the, the deliveries on time and that creates the brand loyalty and also the trust that is really important to keep the customers happy for a longer time and increase the, the lifetime value for the customers. Now there are a bunch of features that I can talk about, right? Like that will, that enables all of this, but I'll just, you know, quickly touch upon some of them, right? So being able to create a custom experience for your brand is really important. So having that flexibility of providing all the capabilities through APIs is really important for some of the customers, you know, that we work with. Now, being able to manage involuntary and voluntary churn is really important, right? So you want to maximize the LTV and you want to retain the customers as long as you can. So managing those churns, either voluntary or involuntary becomes really important, right? Allowing our customers to quickly change and try new things. So being able to provide an agile platform that is easy to change as the needs of the subscription business changes or as you want to test new new things is also really important. So. I can go on and on, but I'll just stop there. <laughs> I'm curious, just from Vino for a second, I, I, it dawns on me that you were in Facebook in the heyday uh, of, of a lot of this stuff. How has the top of funnel for subscription programs changed from in terms of driving new users uh, in the iOS 14.5 era? Yeah, I, I think even prior to the iOS 14 era, you know, the way I always looked at it is like, no matter what, you know, your, your cost per acquisition is always going to increase, you know, expect 20 to 30% year over year. And and the main reason is this this basic concept that like it's an auction environment. The more crowded it gets, the more competitive, and it's difficult. And definitely, when I started out, uh, you know, there wasn't as many regulations at Facebook, so I spent a lot of time with the engineers who were literally just working on the ad load system and figuring out how do you measure user sentiment, you know, battling baby photos for an ad placement. And I think it was just me being a weird nerd into it. But I think what I've seen evolve over time is that the difficulty with the, the iOS changes, the, the ability for tracking. And, you know, Facebook came at a time where the internet didn't have identity and now we're moving back towards something like that. When you think about top of funnel now, and even when I think about it back then, because we saw it from the rise of Dollar Shave Club to you know the crash with the the Casper components uh, after they went live uh, public, 
And I think the, the the big main thing that you know you need to think about with paid acquisition is it's really like a a fuel to to the fire. So ensuring that like you have this twenty to thirty percent organic um, uh, revenue contribution is very important, uh, whether it's through referrals or understanding like how your audience is identified online. So when you think about pet consumers, like the moment you're thinking about getting a dog, you're you're googling like okay, what are dogs that don't bark or hypoallergenic dogs? So you know I'm not sneezing all the time, and that is your first impression top of funnel opportunity. And you know we really think about. You know where are they going to get this information? How do we present ourselves there, or how do we, you know, capture that email or you know push them to a social entity where they're able to engage and then start to see the drip of paid acquisition come into play? Uh, but I think in terms of you know looking at it on a on a plain basis as well, like there are always going to be new auction environments, and and TikTok is like one of those right now. It reminds me a lot of Facebook in in, in 2012, and I think there's a lot of like upside in in some of these newer environments. Yeah, it's definitely a common theme. Now, if, if you were to start an, a new subscription program today, what's something that you do differently than you did when you started? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I think if we were to start differently than we did today, to be honest, like I, I think us being able to build custom, um, you know, we, we don't host on Shopify. I think at the time and even now it's still difficult because, you know, it requires a bit of add-ons and you know, as mentioned before, like every subscription is different and every user has a different behavior. I think what we would have done differently is just, you know, gone with our gut and invested in all those custom builds that we were going to do. And instead we did it periodically because we wanted the confidence. You know, I think, you know, as much as entrepreneurship, we like to be out here and say we know what we're doing. There's still that fear. So when we're thinking about, um, you know, providing that flexibility in our subscription, you know, in the beginning, we'd only deliver once a month. We really wanted to focus on the flexibility of like diet selection and being able to have like plan upgrades. Uh, And we took that piece by piece. uh, Whereas, you know, I think if I were to do differently, I think all of our assumptions came out right. So we could have done a lot earlier and, and really been able to get even deeper and deeper with the way you know, our subscription is for our customers. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like you kind of like, I think what I'm hearing is like you built in chunks, right? So you, you, you'd use Shopify to start for this aspect and you'd kind of, you kind of hacked it together. Whereas you had this vision of how this was all going to work, all the different variables. And if you were starting over from scratch, you'd actually just build something custom to fulfill that. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. It could have its own pitfalls though. You know, like who knows, right? I don't, I wouldn't, I, yeah. I don't know if I'd go back. I guess now that you've done it, you probably could, but like fumbling your way through building a totally custom solution, who knows? Yeah, it never turns out to be the best uh, idea when you're like, okay, let me build out 12 of these components that we really haven't flushed or tested out or validated. And, you know, if you get this information that's a bit of a false positive, then you don't really know which area to start tweaking into or diving in. And, in the beginning, we were very hands-on. You know, we didn't even do any paid acquisitions for over a year, and it was really because we wanted to know when we do these features and updates, our customers like resonating with it. Are they finding it works? I think just looking back, you have that hindsight, so you're like, okay, it worked out, so we should have just done it. Yeah, uh, and your choice to use Charge B worked out well as well. What what were you what were your main criteria when you were determining who to build with? Uh, yeah, so we spent a lot of time, you know, chatting even with the Shopify team, uh, you know, recharge all the way across the board for like most of the subscription uh, reoccurring billing players. And I, I think the the thing was at that time, subscription was very much defined as, okay, it's going to be a bo- one box being delivered to you. And it's going to most likely be one SKU that never changes. And I think that was a blocker most of the times, like whenever we would dive into these like edge cases, 
uh, where I think most vendors looked at it was like, okay, maybe that's just unique to dogs because they're like personalizing it a lot. But the reality is, is like, yes, there's a growth in subscription and the model itself, but there's also this growth of customization and personalization to different degrees, of course, right? And I think that was really important to us. And the more when, you know, it was actually our CTO, John, who, who really has used Chargebee in the past. Uh, with one of his um, uh, past endeavors and, you know, said, hey, like, I, I know this is a SaaS platform, but this is the interesting part that they're working on. And the more we got to know their team and their development and, and kind of roadmap towards e-commerce, like that was the second thing that was very important. What Where, was that interesting part? Was it the API? Was it the flexibility? Yeah, I think it was like the commitment towards like looking at the things that really worked in the Chargebee platform that could expand on uh, even further into e-commerce. So things like uh, how you manage the order data or inventory components, um, being able to do things like, um, you know, have a subscription, but also have one-time purchase um, or having a subscription and being able to have an add-on, uh, giving the flexibility of plans um, and really understanding there's like truly no limitation to that to, to that SKU system if you think about customization, but you still want the ability to manage it as easily as possible. And those are the things, whether they were available like as an immediate feature or an API or even as a beta, I think like that was the interesting thing for us. It was that, you know, as we evolved, it was great to see, you know, the ability we wanted to have towards couponing, um, you know, would evolve with, with Chargebee and make it super simple. Whereas I think a lot of the other areas that we dived into, we found it very difficult to say, with confidence that, you know, these are the things that would really make it a great long-term partner. Nice. Pranam, what do you have to say about the partnership? Yeah, I mean, it has been a fantastic partnership for us. Um, you know, as Vino was mentioning, like the the platform provides a lot of flexibility. The product was built for SaaS businesses, but we are expanding the capabilities and fine-tuning them for e-commerce use cases. And we are at a place where we feel really good about the capabilities that we have. Some of the things that stand out for Chargebee are things like APIs, like almost every single capability of the platform is exposed as an API, which makes uh, you know it really easy for brands like Cabo to build a very custom experience. I mean, if you look at the Cabo website, you know, it's just, it's a very unique experience. And to be able to power that unique experience, that unique checkout experience, support those, vari- you know, variations in, in terms of the SKUs and providing the flexibility to uh, to do all that through APIs is, is something that we're really proud of, right? You're, it's a little, it, yeah, like building in SaaS first. I don't think I actually realized that you were more of a SaaS focus to begin with because SaaS is such a mature space in some ways and there's so much automation that goes in there. So having those APIs are going to be absolutely essential in that space. So I can see coming into e-commerce, uh, you know, built up quite a bit already from that SaaS business. I wanted to ask, like, Pritam, what, what, what do you think are, are aspects of your tool that not enough entrepreneurs are using to their fullest capacity? You know, I think uh, one thing that is generally not super clear um, as brands adopt our capability is that they can actually start really small and grow, you know, pretty much unconstrained, right, you know, to a a significant level. Um, So, for example, we have hosted components, right, which means that you can, like, pretty much in a matter of a couple of days, get started with your subscription business, right, Um, by just dropping in a couple of scripts and you can get started. But as you see more customers coming and joining your brand and uh, you see more acquisition and you see your business grow, there is need to have better performance, you know, more customizability, maybe more features, you know, maybe the option of having one time and, um, you know, recurring um, orders. 
all those things as the brands grow they can actually migrate you know over from the initial quick experience to a more mature you know highly scalable highly customizable experience so we've seen customers do that um you know but it is not something that customers know from the get go that you know they will be able to clearly grow and change and evolve with the pro- with the product as as their requirements change and as they scale their business so uh that's one aspect that's not very clear to many uh, many of our customers when they start with chargebee and then you know there are lots of capabilities we are now a multi product company right so we support not just uh, recurring billing and subscription management but we also have very robust capabilities when it comes to retention right so we can do management of uh, voluntary churn right with a with a recent acquisition that we did for a product called rightback which is now known as chargebee retention we are a multi product company we have pretty strong capabilities that are built to support functions or functionality that you will need as you scale your business right so retention is there we have revenue uh, revenue story which is our you know capability to allow you to really know your business right what are the key metrics that you want to track and provide you insights into where things are going well where things are not going well so you can adjust accordingly so those are some of the aspects right that people don't realize from the get go uh, that there is a a breadth to the platform and it allows you to scale uh, really nicely but you don't have to start like a beautiful mind vino with his you know a, a million different uh you know things going on and dog poop over here and dog size over here you can start so you can start small and build towards that complexity which is which is what vino's done Vino, I want to ask you, so uh, if we gave you a $50,000 uh, grant from the Canadian government, they really want to see e-commerce flourish, uh, what, where would you put that into the business right now to see the uh, the highest return? Yeah, I'd say um, probably right now what would be interesting is, uh, you know, continuing to develop onto our, our functionality. Like, I think what's interesting is we've always been able to do some of these tests and um, you know, not, not saying this just because Treasury's on the call, but more or less saying it because I just chatted with their team. What's kind of exciting is some of the roadmap that that they have coming out. And uh, I know before, like we've always been, we're a very lean tech team. We literally just have like one CTO and and, and one other developer and kind of work on a contractual project basis. But um, I, I think one of the things that's really exciting to me is being able to like invest in just some of the more uh, stronger data warehousing. So we've built a lot of data warehousing from the abilities that we have to pull from like a Chargebee API, for instance, uh, and then as well as like, let's say your easy post API. Uh, but what's really, really interesting now is like we have so much of this data around like cities we deliver to and like what dog breeds there are. So you can really start to get hyper localized in your marketing to say like in Calgary, like we should have a Bichon on the poster because, you know, most of the people there have small dogs or even looking at shipping regions that are extremely costly. So right now we're looking at some of these areas that, you know, may, you know, it's very difficult to ship to, but understanding like this is our opportunity on the offline side and saying, you know, let's take some of that 50K and, and you know, bring on a retailer in a region where we have customers and interests, but might not make the most sense on the shipping basis and start to drive those tweaks in. Because I think that fine tune um, experience for the customer for us is what's been able to drive, you know, our retention to be so strong. And, uh, you know, I think the more we focus on that, the, the, the better direction we'll keep going in. Very cool. And then Pritam, from your side, like what, uh, I know you guys just did a big summer release of, of features, right? Just this week or even yesterday. What, uh, first of all, what are you most excited about that? And then what in it, like, where do you see the roadmap going in terms of what you, you guys want to build out? 
Yeah, so I mean, first of all, like it was an incredible release for us. I mean, lots of uh, incredible functionality that cuts across the SaaS vertical and the e-commerce vertical. The things that I'm super excited about is, uh, you know, we're starting to see our true multi-product strategy come to fruition, right? So in the last 18 months, we had acquired three different companies, right? For retention, receivables, and RevRec. And all those three companies are now better and more tightly integrated with the platform. So for example, for retention, now our customers directly through the Chargebee customer portal can kick off like retention workflows. Or for customers like Cabo, who are using a headless setup and you know using our APIs, they can use the retention APIs through the customer portal to kick off those retention workflows, right? And we're seeing some really incredible results for the customers that are actually using the retention capabilities, right? So really excited about the multi-product strategy coming to fruition. Second thing that we're really excited about is we've launched, uh, you know, there are lots of features, right? And I'll do an injustice if I, you know, if I say that I'm more excited about one versus the other. But I'll just talk about the ones that Your are very relevant to... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and I cannot like keep going on and on. So I'll just mention one more, which is really uh, interesting and important and, you know, very close to my heart because my team actually built it, is uh, what we call as uh, in-app subscriptions. So now if a brand has uh, subscriptions across multiple channels, right? Like they're offering subscription through mobile app, they're offering subscription to web, we can now support that uh, omni-channel uh, subscription management functionality, right? So if you're using Apple or Google for your subscription management charge, we can give you that single pane of glass view on all your subscription across those touch points. So those are the two that I'm really excited about. And in terms of the, the roadmap, I'll talk to, to about the features that are more relevant to e-commerce. We're really doubling down on API-first e-commerce platform. I think that's where we are really strong. That's where many of our customers have experienced the flexibility of the platform, which um, is headless, right? That's is sort of another way of saying headless. It's yeah, it is. It's, yeah, it is headless. I'm just calling it API first because we're going to focus a lot yeah. on APIs and just provide the flexibility that the platform, like capabilities that the platform has, in a way that is easy for brands to use. It's super high performant so that the experience is snappy because that's really important when you're building these uh, custom sites, especially important when you grow and scale. So that's one area of focus. And we're also pretty excited about the launch of our Shopify native application. So we are getting into uh, Shopify as a, a native subscription app. You know, we just introduced that in, into the ecosystem. Very cool. Uh, is there anything that Prim just said, Vino, that like you're specifically uh, excited about keying on? Uh, I, I think definitely the, um, the the piece with the right back and um, the, the the work that they're doing around the retention uh, API because I, I think for us you know that's always kind of been our focus like we're not the type of uh, DDC company that's like trying to crush you know month over month new customer growth but I think a lot of our product market fit was around you know how do you crush retention growth right especially when you think about trial to reoccurring and reoccurring onwards and you know, a dog lives eight to 15 years. So we should be able to like really retain that customer for a long period of time. And right now we have an average lifespan of about 25 uh, months. Uh, and that's only, you know, based on the fact that we only have a limited amount of information. But what that means is like, you know, when we think about what's been working to get our customers back on track, uh, one is really around core product issues. Um, the other, The other one is around things like how we might want to communicate um, these functionalities or these things that are value props and, um, you know, creating the right triggers based on their feedback and, 
you know, collecting it, whether it's from a cancellation flow or, or even if it's, you know, uh, knowing that, you know, when a customer comes on and they're adding a treat or an add-on, you know, they're 47% more likely to be retained than a, part, a person who doesn't, which is huge. So a lot of the times for us now, it's going to be, you know, testing and being able to do that easily. Um, you know, having access to that API makes it easy for us to like set the parameters from the data we're collecting in our Postgres database around the dog. Uh, and then, you know, shoot it through a Clavio campaign, right? Uh, and then be able to like be as agile as possible and and really test and see, you know, does this work or um, as a text text function, does this work as even, you know, uh, an outright like, uh, you know, calling function even, or did, does it work as like an email function and being able to communicate that message across? I think like those types of tools are ones that we're interested in because we're naturally marrying that information already. Do you guys have an app or does your website just being as, as uh, complex as it is kind of function as an app? Yeah, our, our website essentially functions more as an app um, because in, if you look at that front end interface, a lot of it is fairly static except for the onboarding funnel and flow that, that collects that information where 33% of our site traffic really comes from is these reoccurring subscribers. Um, they're coming back, you know, prior to delivery day, maybe adding a new product uh, prior to product launch. You know, we do everything, as I mentioned, from like functional foods, like a protein bar for dogs. Um, you know, this just this past uh, few weekends ago was National Ice Cream Day. So our scientists has worked hard to create an ice cream for dogs, which is very important for their happiness. And, you know, being able to add like this very seasonal product that's literally available on a weekend and uh, and, and drive that campaign is, is such an interesting part of like what drives this overall experience that retains our customers. If you guys want to know more about Chargebee, you can go to chargebee.com. Pritam, like if, if someone wants to geek out on on like roadmap and product and capabilities, is there a way that people can get in touch with you? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I'm happy to communicate with people who are interested in subscriptions. Directly send an email to pritam.bagani at chargebee.com. That's probably the best way. And, uh, either, you know, you can also pick up the phone and, and talk to our sales reps as well if, if that works out. Uh, lots of great information is available on the website. Our entire documentation is public. So, you know, if people really want to understand the capabilities, documentation is a great place to start as well. Nice. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.